We are in the making of champions. I've lost track of what part. I think it's like part eight, part nine. We're getting in the teens here shortly. Um, but I, I want to just dive in to today's message because there's a lot going on. Uh, if you did not receive, did, did everybody receive one of these cards when you came in? There's so much content that I wanted to give you a card so you could take notes, okay? Because you're going to need this. You're going to want to post this on your fridge this week. If you need one of these, uh, raise your hand, and we'll have a team member come up. We just have a few people that need some of these. Um, and so we'll have, some, we'll have some greeters come forward and hand these out in just a moment. Um, so let me, let me just dive in. I'm going to read a, a, a significant portion of Exodus uh, chapter 3. Here they come. Come on up, Carol. Uh, come on up. Raise your hand if you need one of these, and we will get you one. We're going to start with Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, uh, and it says this. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, when we meet Moses, he's not in a very glamorous job. He's working for his father-in-law, tending his father-in-law's sheep, all right? Uh, he's, uh, his his father-in-law is the priest of Midian, and Moses led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but that it did not burn. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. I, I, I think it's interesting that God calls him only after he went to look. Sometimes God wants to know whether you're actually interested in hearing from him before he begins to speak to you. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their sufferings. How many of you are glad to, to know that God hears you, he sees you, and he's concerned about your struggle? He said, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Now, I want you to notice this. God said, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Moses gets this confused in a minute because he thinks he's the one that's supposed to rescue them. But God says, I, I have come down. You see, God, God is the author, we're just the actor. God is the source, we're just the resource. God is the head, we're just the body. God says, I'm going to rescue my people and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hiphites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And then here comes the moment. God says, so now go, Moses, go. I, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the most explicit mission statement you could ever imagine. God says literally, directly, I am sending you to go to Egypt and set my people free. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
Let me read that again. Moses said, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Today, for the next few moments, I want to speak on the subject, overcoming the voice inside your head. Overcoming the voice inside your head. Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place, into our hearts, into our minds. We invite you at Shaw. We invite you at U City, online, everywhere where people are watching. We, we just invite your presence. We invite you to transform us by the power of your word. Let your word seep into our heart. Take root. Transform us. Produce fruit. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Several years ago, my son... Jameson, when he was just a little little guy, I know I'm using him in two sermons in a row. He gave me permission. We'll move on to another child next week. <laughs> Jameson, just a little fella, he desperately longed to dive off the diving board at the Brentwood YMCA. This is what he wanted to do. He had learned to swim earlier that summer, and so what he wanted to do was take that next step and go jump off the diving board, dive off the diving board. So, so we go to the YMCA. He's just really little at this time. And we go to the YMCA, and we go to the pool, and we stand over at the edge of the pool, and I see him looking at the diving board, and he gets his courage up, and he walks over to the diving board, and he walks up the little steps to the diving board, and he walks out to the very edge of the diving board, and he puts himself in the position to dive. And I'm watching from the side of the pool. He puts himself in the position to dive, and then he just stands there for a very, very, very long time. And then I just see his shoulders slump. I see his, his little body just sort of wilt. He stands up. His head's drooping down. He turns around. He walks back, and he comes over and stands beside me at the side of the pool. I'm looking at his face. I can see anxiety. I can see fear. I can see disappointment I can see frustration and I say hey, what's going on man well what happened he said well I, I just I can't do it I said why not he said I'm just I'm just afraid that if I jump in I'm not going to make it to the side I'm just worried that if I jump in something's going to happen and I'm not going to either come back up or I'm going to end up at the side of the pool and I'm standing there with my arm around my son just listening to his little heart cry out what he was experiencing is something that we experience every day. Every single one of us experiences every day. I've got a graphic. I want to show you what he was experiencing. It looks like this. First of all, he had some beliefs in his mind. His belief at the edge of the swimming pool was, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it to the edge of the pool. I'm not going. That's the belief that was in his mind. That belief caused an emotion in him. That emotion was anxiety and worry and frustration, and fear. That feeling or emotion then catalyzed a behavior. The behavior was, I'm going to walk back down this diving board, and I'm going to go stand down next to my dad because now my feeling has driven me away from what I wanted to do. And then watch this. That action validated the belief. The action of not diving off the diving board validated the belief of, see, I can't do it. See, I can't make it. I knew I couldn't jump, and I can't jump. All of us experience this every single day in life, for better or for worse. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. 
our behaviors never rise above the level of our beliefs. This is why, this is why Jesus puts so much emphasis on belief. He said, all things are possible to them that believe. He said, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and even greater works will they do. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and it shall be done, and nothing shall be impossible to you if you have faith. You see, Scripture over and over reminds us, teaches us something that psychologists have only learned in the last hundred years or so, and that is our beliefs animate our feelings, our feelings catalyze our behavior, our behavior then validates our beliefs. Some of us today want to move forward in life. We have things in our heart and in our life that we want to, to accomplish. Maybe for you, it's you, you want to meet somebody that you haven't had the courage to meet, but there's a belief in your heart. And you think, well, I don't know. I'm afraid I'll be rejected. And so you don't meet that person. Maybe you're trying to uh, achieve a goal with your career, or maybe you want to further your education, and, and there's, but there's a belief. And your belief is, I just don't know if I'll pull it off. I don't know if I can accomplish it. I don't know if I can make it. And that belief then causes you to feel a certain kind of feeling, which is a little bit of despondency, a little bit of hopelessness, a little bit of fear. And so you, your fear then animates your actions, and you don't try to do the thing that you've wanted to do. And then, then, then what happens is your lack of action then validates your belief. You say, see, I, I can't do it. Moses, when we meet him, is being told by God, this is what I want you to do. I'm giving you a mission. I'm giving you a thing to do, and I'm going to empower you to do it. And Moses' first response is, who am I? I can't do it. Now, here's what's fascinating. This is the thing that Moses wanted to do most in his life. Moses longed more than anything in his life to free his people, the Israelites, from the oppression and the slavery in Egypt. He had a burning desire for justice. This is what he longed for more than anything else. The reason we know this is you can go backward 40 years and you see what Moses did. Moses, as a young man, saw one of his brothers, an Israelite, being uh, wrongly treated by a slave driver. And Moses, full of righteous indignation, full of righteous anger, struck out against that slave driver, ended up killing him, burying him in the sand. His heart was to free his people, even from a very, very young age. The problem was he didn't do it at the right time. He didn't do it the right way. And because he failed, he ended up leaving his mission and spent the next 40 years on the backside of a desert. Giving up on his dream, giving up on the purpose that God had for him, giving up on the mission, ruminating on the failure of not doing what he was called to do, not doing what he longed to do. And so when God says to him, Moses, it's time for you to do what you've always wanted to do, our expectation is that he would go, oh God, thank you. Oh, this is going to be awesome. Finally, it's my turn. Finally, it's my time. But that's not what Moses does. Why? Because Moses has a voice inside of his head. Let me take you back. Verse 10 says this. He said, so now go. God said, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt. This is your mission. This is your, this is what you're supposed to do. Moses says, who am I? Who am I that I should, that I should go? What we're going to find here in the next few moments, we're going to find five arguments that Moses made with God. Five arguments, five statements of belief that Moses said, here's why, here are the five reasons I can't do it. 
And every time God says, let me actually tell you something not about you. Let me tell you something about me. Every time you say, I can't do this, I don't have the capacity to build, God, God doesn't even listen to that. He's like, I'm not actually talking about you, Moses. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me being with you. I'm using you, Moses. I'm working through you, Moses. So, so what, what, what I want us to do is I want us to see, we're going to look at the five arguments that he makes, the five self-sabotaging beliefs that he has. Then we're going to look at the five true beliefs that God wants him to embrace. And then what I want you and me to do is go, hey, which of these beliefs do I share with Moses? And which of these true beliefs do I need to adopt and embrace in my life? All right, so we're going to track with this. We're going to do this fast. Here we go. So, so, so Moses said, who am I? Here's his first self-sabotaging belief. It's number, number one. I'm not worthy or deserving to do something of this magnitude. This is a question of worth. This is Moses saying, I, you've told me that you want me to do it. I am not, I do not have enough implicit inherent value, worth, or dignity to do what you've called me to do. I do not deserve to be used in this way. In a recent article in the Journal of General Internal Medicine, the researchers noted that up to 82% of people face feelings of what's called imposter phenomenon. You may have heard imposter syndrome. Same, same idea. Imposter phenomenon. People struggling with the sense that they haven't earned what they've achieved and that they are a fraud. These feelings can contribute to increased anxiety and depression, less risk-taking in careers and career burnout. One author put it like this. There's an ongoing fear that's usually experienced by high-achieving individuals, like everybody at One Family Church. Amen, somebody. High-achieving individuals that they're going to be found out or unmasked as being incompetent or unable to replicate past success. Some of you today are struggling with this very idea. You're being put up for some opportunity. There's a challenge in front of you. There's an opportunity in front of you. And there's a voice inside your head that says, I'm not worth it. I don't deserve it. If they only knew. If they, o- if they really knew who I was. If they really knew where I came from. If they really knew my background. If they really knew how I don't fit in with them. If they really knew that I wasn't smart enough. If, I, if they really knew where my family came from. If they really knew my lack of experience. If they really knew that. If the, if the mask would come off and they go, man, you're a fraud. What are you doing here? Moses is saying, I would be a fraud to go down there. Nobody would believe in me. I can't do it. Who am I that you would use me? Now, notice how God responds. God doesn't say, you could do it, Moses. Yeah, you're a great guy. Here's what God says. God says, I will be with you. Moses, it's not about you. It's not about whether you're worth it or deserve it. I will be with you. And this is going to be the sign to you that, that it is I that sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You will succeed. I'm going. I'm going to help you bring these folks out. We're coming out, and then you're going to worship me on top of this mountain. That's going to be the sign. Here's the true belief that God is trying to put in Moses' mind and, by extension, in your mind. Here's the true belief. God is with me, and he will accomplish his will through me no matter how great the task. What if instead of you feeling like I'm not worthy and I'm not deserving, what if you're your, your immediate thought was, God is with me and he'll accomplish his will through me no matter how great the task. I mean, I mean, what would you do with your life if you walked around going, you know, God is with me and he'll accomplish his will through me no matter great the task, no matter how great. How would you walk into a boardroom if that's what you thought? How would you walk into an interview if that's what you believed? How would you walk into the purpose that God has for you? How would you walk into the mission that God has for you if this is what you believed? Now, for me, that would be enough. I'd be like, all right, God, let's go. 
but not for Moses because he's been ruminating on his failure for the last 40 years. You know, Moses is 80 years old when this happens. Don't let God, don't, don't let think, don't think that God is done with you just because you haven't been doing your dream for a minute. He's 80 years old, but he doesn't believe. So he comes up with number two. He says, Moses said to God, verse 13, but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Right? They're not going to believe me. Here's what he's saying. This is self, sec, second self-sabotaging belief. I'm not knowledgeable or experienced enough to succeed at this task. First is a question of worth. Second is a question of knowledge. I don't know enough to do what you want me to do. I'm not good enough, and I don't know enough. Let, let, me, let me illustrate this by rewinding about, by fast-forwarding, rather, about 1,400 years. Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples. Jesus has already ascended into heaven. Holy Spirit has come. Peter and John go walking into the temple. They're on the outside of the temple. They walk by one of the gates at the temple. There's a man who's been lame since birth. Ever since he was a little baby, he's been laying at the edge of this temple. Peter and John walk up to him. He says, do you have anything for me? I need some money. Peter and John said, silver, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the scripture says this man stood up and walked. And not only did he stand up and walk, but he started leaping and dancing throughout the temple. He started, he started singing the praises of God throughout the temple. Here's the thing. Everybody at the temple knew this guy. He'd been laying there for 40 years. So suddenly people start going, man, what is going on? There's power with these guys. And they start converting. They start coming to Jesus. You know, 5,000 people came to Christ during that time, in that moment. 5,000 people said, I'm, gonna, I'm following them. If they're following Jesus and Jesus is doing this, I'm going with them, right? The Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the day, come to them and, and they start grilling them. They start saying, what are you doing? Who are you doing this by? What are you, what's the thing? Who are you guys? What's your authority, right? Peter just gets up and goes, look, here's the deal. There's no other name under heaven whereby a man must be saved. We're following Jesus. If you've got a problem with us, you've got a problem with Jesus. And we're following him. And here's what the Supreme Court of the first century said. Here's what they said. Here's what the Sanhedrin said in, in verse uh, 13 of Acts chapter 4. It says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, it wasn't their knowledge, it was their intimacy. I am a huge advocate for education. I want all of us to get PhDs, okay? All of us, right? But it's not our knowledge that is, is the key to our effectiveness in, in stepping into God's mission. It's our intimacy with God. Moses says, I don't know enough. God says, I'm here with you. I'm with you right now. In fact, here's what Moses said to, uh, here's what God said to Moses when he said, I don't know enough. In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. Tell them, I am has sent you. Now in the Hebrew, I am does not just mean existence. It means manifest existence. When the scripture says there was light, it doesn't mean that light existed. It means light showed up. When the scripture says there was a tempest, it doesn't mean wind existed. It means a storm showed up. When God says, I am that I am, tell them that I am sent you. What he's saying is, tell them that I showed up. And I'm here with you. And I'm working through you. And you don't have to know everything because I am is here. God is showing up for Moses. So 
so here's the belief that God wants Moses to adopt. Here it is. And maybe you should adopt this too. Almighty God has shown up in my life and has authorized me to accomplish his purpose. Instead of I'm not knowledgeable enough, how about Almighty God has shown up in my life and has authorized me to step into and fulfill his purpose. What would your life look like if that was the belief running around your head instead of the voice? Exodus 4.1, Moses is still not ready. Exodus 4.1, Moses answered, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? How many of y'all are fed up with Moses right about now? God is so patient. I would not be. By the third one, I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to find somebody else. I'm done with you. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord didn't appear to you. Here's his third self-sabotaging belief. Third one, I'm not convincing or persuasive enough to be effective. So number one is, I lack worth. Number two is, I lack knowledge. Number three is, I lack influence. I do not have enough followers on Instagram for people to take me seriously. I don't have enough of a Twitter following for people to actually think, I'm not influential enough. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And, and, and here's, how, here's how God responds. Verse two, the Lord said to him, what's in your hand, Moses? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. God is saying, look, I, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually able to do some things that you're not able to do. I'm actually, I'm actually capable of doing some things that you didn't, you didn't really plan on. I'm going to show up in ways that are way beyond you. I'm going to show up in ways that are, are far beyond your capacity. Here's, here's the true belief that God wants Moses to adopt. Ready? Here it is. God will intervene throughout my life in order to achieve his aims. So if I say I'm not influential enough, I can't compel people. God says, listen, it's not about how compelling you are. It's not even about how good of a leader you are. It's not about how knowledgeable you are. And it's not about your own internal dignity or worth. It's about my power inside of you working through you. Can I just tell you this? When you say yes to Jesus, circumstances begin to change in ways that you couldn't expect. You couldn't anticipate. You couldn't manipulate. You couldn't do it on your own. I'll give you just real quick, one real quick example. When we started One Family Church, I, had zo- I, was, I was like Moses. I had so little faith, y'all. My wife, y'all are so fortunate because my wife had like 10 times more faith than me. I needed to find a place for us to worship. I wanted to be in the Tivoli Theater. But I did not believe, even for a second, that we could meet here. I never believed that we would be allowed to rent this space. So I literally went to every other space in University City. Public Library, I went to the Centennial Commons, I went to City Hall, I went to COCA. I mean, ask my wife, I mean, literally, you know, we're at Denny's going, would this booth work? You know, I mean, like, could, could we, you know, I was everywhere. Everybody said no. Everybody said no. Literally everybody said no. One day we're driving down the Del Mar Loop, Rebecca goes, you should just go ask them. Because what's it going to do? And I'm like, well, what it's going to do is going to hurt my pride, right? And then it's going to hurt again because I've already been rejected so many times. She's like, just go ask him. I had my little business plan. I come walking into the Tivoli. There's nobody here. There's a manager here. I give him my plan. I say, you know, we just kind of want to, we're just trying to, um, we'd like to, you know, you know what I'm doing, right? Okay. And I don't know, maybe we could have some church services here. <laughs> the guy opens the thing, reads it while I'm standing there. He goes, this looks great. We'll send a contract over on Monday. I was like, excuse me. And I'm out. <laughs> See, God shows up in ways that you can't manipulate. You can't, you can't change. You, you don't have any control over that. That's not, God says, look, 
if I put you on mission, I'm going to show up in the circumstances of your mission. I'm going to be there in advance of you. I'm going to do some things that you can't explain or expand on. I'm going to handle what needs to be handled to get you where you need to go. All right, so Moses is still not buying it, all right? Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Number four, self-sabotaging belief. I'm not skilled or talented enough to accomplish this task. So we've been through worth, knowledge, influence. Now we're at ability. I do not have the ability to do it. Can I just tell you this? Nobody in the Bible had the ability to do what God called them to do. Not one person in the Bible had the actual capacity to do the thing that God called them to do. If you're able to do the thing that you have as your dream, you got to get a bigger dream. Because that's not a God dream. God does not give you a dream and a purpose that you can fulfill on your own. He just doesn't do it. We don't see it in the Bible. In fact, I went on your behalf this week and I compiled a list of all the people in the Bible and the level of their uh, inadequacy. Okay, I'm, I left a few out. Here, here it is. Abraham was too old to do what God called him to do. Sarah was too cynical. Jacob was too deceitful. Joseph was too foolish. Rahab was too sinful. Gideon was too weak. Deborah was too demanding. Ruth was too foreign. Samuel was too young. Samson was too undisciplined. David was too small. Elijah was too scared. Elisha was too impressionable. Jonah was too disobedient. Jeremiah was too depressed. Amos was too ignorant. Hosea was too soft. And Isaiah was too intense. Peter was too loud. John was too quiet. Mary was too experienced. And Paul was too crazy. Nobody in the Bible had the ability to do what God wanted them to do. So what's your excuse? <laughs> God is not worried about your strength. God wants you to understand his strength. Here's what, here's what the Lord said at this, uh, at, this next, at this fourth excuse. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? I just, I can't talk right. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Here it is. Here's the fourth true belief. God will demonstrate his strength even in my weakness. Can I just go, okay, there, there are some areas of my weakness where I'm weak. This is where the Bible and, and self-help separate. This is where they part company. And, and there's, there's good stuff in self-help. But self-help essentially tries to say, you're good enough. You can do it. You got the strength. God's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You do not have the strength. You're not good enough. You, you cannot do the thing that I'm calling you to do, but I can do it through you, right? So God will use even your weakness to demonstrate his strength. God will use your weakness to demonstrate his power. God will use the thing that you say, I just, I, I, I'm not good at that. And God said, look, who created your mouth? I created your mouth. I can use your mouth. I can do whatever I want with your mouth. I, I'm going I'm to take you where you need to go, irrespective of your strengths. Moses should be convinced by now. Come on, Moses. Somebody say, come on, Moses. But he gives one more. Ready? Here it is. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please just send somebody else. He almost like runs out of steam. He's like, I, I just can't. Here's what he's singing. Here's number five. Somebody else would be better at me, better than me at this. Somebody else would be better than me at this. That's what he's saying. I can't do this is the this is the this is the problem of comparison. You've been through authority, you've been through influence, knowledge, ability, and now you're just comparing. You're just going, they're better than somebody else could do this better than me. 
Somebody else could do this better. How many of you ever been trapped by comparison? You've wanted to do something, but then you look at somebody else and go, man, they're just better. I mean, this is something I struggled with a lot, especially in the early days uh, of church, and I was just learning how to preach, and I'd be, I'd be listening to, like, Andy Stanley and Tony Evans. Don't ever do that if you're a church planner, you know? Don't listen to T.D. Jakes, because my mom used to call me every Sunday. She goes, I'm listening to you, and I'm listening to T.D. Jakes. And I was like, Mom, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, it's the problem of comparison. The Lord's anger finally burned against Moses. Okay, now, look, this is number five, Moses. Now the Lord's frustrated. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. Here's the true belief. Ready? Adopt this. God will bring people into my life to help me accomplish his will. You know who freed me from the, from the crutch and the crushing uh, experience of comparison? It was a pastor in Brooklyn, a guy named Jim Cimbala at Brooklyn Tabernacle. Brooklyn Tabernacle. My wife and I went to a conference there. And I, I've always loved his ministry and I've always, you know, was, just respected him and admired him. And we went to Brooklyn Tabernacle in, in Brooklyn. And Jim Cimbala gets up to preach and he starts preaching. And I'm only like a year or two into preaching. And I'm listening to him preach and I go, he's not a very good preacher. Sorry, Jim. Uh, no, what I mean is, that's not his natural gift. He's not eloquent. But he, he, he opens up his life to the Lord, and the Lord uses him in incredible ways. He's up there preaching, and he literally was preaching with Tony Evans and Stephen Furtick and all these kind of crazy people. And I'm listening to him going, oh, my God, right? Because he said, look, I'm going to just use what I have. I'm going to use my weakness. God's going to turn it into a strength. And then I'm going to just bring people around me that can offset some of my weaknesses, and I'm going to allow the Lord to work through me and build a great church, even though I've got all these weaknesses. And he'll tell you, he, he, he probably mentions it in almost every sermon. He says, I'm not, very, I'm not a very good talker, right? But God is using him because he said, God, I'm usable. I I'm open to you. I'm going to allow you to use me. Finally, after five excuses, God has replaced, at least momentarily, replaced the voice inside Moses' head with the voice of God and the voice of truth. And we know how that turns out. Finally, Moses says, okay, I'm going. And Moses goes down to Egypt marches down to Egypt, stands in front of Pharaoh, and says, God told me to tell you to let my people go. And the greatest story of deliverance on the planet occurs, and the people of Israel are taken out of slavery and bondage and brought into the land flowing with milk and honey. And the scripture says this is how Moses ended. This is how the story of Moses ended. Go to Deuteronomy 34. It says this. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, and his strength was not gone. Since then, this is how the Bible describes Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, uh, uh, who, who the Lord knew face to face, who did all those, those signs and wonders the Lord sent to him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For, listen to this. No one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is a guy who had the voice inside of his head preventing him, paralyzing him from stepping forward. And the Bible says there's never been a prophet like this man. 
This man allowed the Lord to use him. How did Moses become such a great prophet? It, we know it wasn't because of his attitude. All right. We know it wasn't because of his ability. We know that it wasn't because of his influence. We, we know that it wasn't anything to do with him. It was him saying, God, I'm yours. I'm going to allow you to use me. I'm going to step into what well, I'm going to put my trust in you. Standing at the edge of the pool at the YMCA in Brentwood, St. Louis, Missouri. Jameson and I are standing there looking back at the swimming, at the swimming pool and at the diving board. And I go, I'll tell you what, here's what I'll do. I'll jump into the water and I'll swim out to the pool. Like I'll swim out by the diving board, like a little bit under the diving board. And what you could do is you can go up back on the diving board and then you can dive in. And if you have any problems or any struggles or whatever, I'm going to be there right there with you. And then we'll just, I'll help you swim over to the side. So he looks at me, you know, with those big eyes, those big wet eyes. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and he walks over to the diving board and he climbs back on the diving board and he got in position. And he stood there for a pretty long time still. And I'm treading water in the middle of the pool like, son, you got to do this pretty soon. Because <laughs> I'll lose my strength here. Finally, he just tips over. Boink, splash, bobs up. We swim over to the edge of the pool. We're celebrating, right? We're enjoying each other. We're high-fiving. We're so His face is lit up, y'all. And what lit me up was not that he dove. Great, beautiful. What lit me up is that a belief in his mind changed. He started to realize there was a different way. And when our beliefs change, then our behaviors change. I want to challenge somebody today. What beliefs are you believing? What voice are you listening to? What self-sabotaging, self-critiquing, self-defeating belief do you need to replace with the voice of God in your mind today? Because I, I just wonder this, and I'm going to close with this. I just wonder this. What could God do through an individual who says, you know what, I'm going to drown out the voice inside my head with the true voice of God? What could my life look like if I would stop listening to the voice of doubt inside of my head and I would open my heart to the voice of God that says, I am with you. I am showing up in your life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I've got a mission for you. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life and I'm going to breathe life into it. And if you'll just dive in with me, I will make sure you get to the side. What would a church look like? What would an entire church community look like? If a group of people said, we're going all in with God. We're going to shut out the voice of the enemy. We're going to shut out the voice of the tempter. We're going to shut out the voice of criticism. We're going to shut out the judge, the silent judge inside of our mind. And we're going to listen to the voice of God. Because I'm telling you, God can use a people who will listen to him and to embrace him. I'm going to invite you at the end of this service, and we're going to close in just a minute. If, if you want to step into what God has for you, I want to invite you to be a part of us. Be a part of this, of, of this community who is committed to listening to the voice of God. If you are not on our team and you want to come join the team, you can come forward uh, at both campuses and join the team. And we'll be there. We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. We'll inspire you. We'll, we'll help you start to see yourself in the way God sees you. That's our goal. We want to bring people and God together in love. We want you to get closer to God and closer to each other in love. That's our whole mission. That's our whole vision. We'll invite you to come at both campuses at the end of service. You can come, join our team, get your t-shirt, and let's, let's live this thing out, man. Let's be like Moses. Let's deliver the people of St. Louis, somebody. Can we do that? Can we have a vision of, of thousands of people coming to Christ across St. Louis? 
because a group of people said we're, we're not relying on our own strength our own ability we're trusting in you would you stand with me as we close if you'd bow your head I'm going to pray with you Shaw and you city just gonna, we're going to bow our heads we're going to pray together Father we come before you right now we thank you we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are with us in our hearts and our minds in these spaces where we are worshiping you and honoring you. We ask, Lord God, that you would come and be with us in our hearts today. I pray, Lord, you would drive out the, the mind, the, the voice in our mind, the, the, the voice that says that we're not worthy, we can't do it, we don't have enough influence, and not replace it with a, with a self-motivating voice that says, yes, we can but rather with your voice that says, I can. You're not strong enough, but I am. You're not able, but I am. You're not capable, but I am. Let us hear that voice so loudly and so clearly in our minds today that we would have the courage, Lord, to step into the purposes, the callings, the vision that you have for us, that we would fulfill our God-given potential, that we would live out the life that you've called us to live, that we would become more and more like Christ, that we'd be transformed into his image, and that we would be the true body of Christ in this city, bringing people close to you, close to one another in love. We love you, we praise you, we thank you, we honor you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen.